0: And here we go! Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular. Yep! Well, uh, the other one, just stick them up! Are you asking me? I
1: promise I'm not gonna sing this time around.
0: Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast, I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Do not be as loco, Zachary.
1: I didn't know you were fluent in Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) Me llamo, Peggy Hill. (laughs) Welcome to football's day. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: pretty good. What were we talking about the other day? It was... uh, Rear window and the guy's name is something walled, and uh yeah
1: uh Thorwald Thorwald
0: welcome to Thorwald day <laughs> <laughs> That's what we ended up with it's so stupid it's, by now it's an inside joke that goes all the way back to the Friday night lights episode of Don't Be Crazy
1: but it's going to be on shirts pretty soon uh <laughs> 9.95 plus shipping and handling yeah. signed by me
0: Don't Be Crazy's day
1: <laughs> I still say Groundhog's Day and I need to knock it off because I say Stop. that shit all the time.
0: It's cute. I, it's like this groundhog owns that day. We are celebrating it. It's Groundhog apostrophe S. <laughs> Sometimes they spell apostrophe. That's great. <laughs> so how are you oh. doing today, my friend?
1: Uh, I'm doing good. It is nice and sunny out. It's warm. Um, yeah, can't complain. It's a beautiful day in Zamunda. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Another beautiful day in the window. Uh, yeah, same here. It's it's been warm, you know, like one
1: hundred six, one hundred five. That's un- <laughs> unheard of. Unheard of. It
0: is. It is warm. Uh, once, like I said before, once it breaks the one hundred ten, then it's uh, then it's hot. Until then, <laughs> it's just warm. Like when you close your eyes and you just feel the heat on your face. It's gross.
1: That is pretty gross. Not a fan. Mm-mm. Not a fan at all.
0: No, not at all. Um, but. I ask you, what what have you been watching lately? You kind of got some interesting uh, interesting things in the notes, and I'm just I need you to explain a bit.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, you, because I'm such a good friend, you asked me to watch uh, the Wild Bunch because you're like, dude, check it out, it's a fucking cowboy movie. I like it. Check it out. It's a different so, kind of
0: cowboy movie, especially that exactly. time.
1: Yeah. So 1969, I believe, and uh, all star cast of uh, who's who back in old Hollywood. But I watched it. And I liked the opening scene and then everything in the middle was kind of eh. and the train robbery was really awesome. And then the final shootout was amazing, but I was kind of left with a empty feeling in my stomach. Like I wanted more. So what I did is I researched it a a bit more and it made way more sense. Um, If I had seen this film in the sixties and I grew up on Westerns, I would have understood why it was such a, a pivotal film for that genre because what they did is, um, who directed that? It was, uh, oh my gosh,
0: uh, maybe like Peckinpah or somebody. Yes. Uh,
1: yeah. Sam Peckinpah. So he basically took the other side, the untold side of a Westerns and, and, Talked about the outlaws, uh, yeah. made the villains the anti-heroes, and so you're rooting for it the whole time. And I mean, these guys aren't ad- admirable dudes. They're using people as human shields. They're taking advantage of women. They're drinking. They're stealing. It's uh, it's it, it's a heavy film, and for the time the the violence was absurd so
0: they're pretty bloody right the first time someone got shot up and you just saw all that red pour out of their body
1: you're probably like holy shit dude (laughs) i mean that opening scene you're you're having you know old ladies die kids getting shot kind of it it was it was intense it was was really intense and it's funny because you know i think it's akin to some other directors that that uh we're, we're big fans of Hint Hint and um, just the over sensationalization of, of violence. Right. But, like but it, when
0: RoboCop comes out into the off the wagon and just shoots fucking everybody. <laughs> that part's pretty
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah. Verhoeven was uh, was was filming this back in the day. <laughs> and all but, the bugs uh, yeah. just
0: it raid dodge. And it's pretty
1: great. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. Um, but I really liked it. So I'm very glad I watched it. It's a long one. It's a good it two, two and a half hours. But uh, I was I enjoyed it. Very good performances by by everybody in it. So. Um, And then I watched a uh, Daniel Radcliffe movie, Guns Akimbo. Um, This was had some pretty good hype behind it. Uh, I like the idea. It's been done before, but I think it was good. It was delivered well and it was a good storyline. It got a little cheesy, though. And um, all in all, I wasn't impressed with it. It was uh, it was kind of a waste of time, so I would not watch it. I I like Samara Weaving, but she just was ridiculous in this film. And then uh, and then I started community. And honestly, like I, I I knew about community, but I did not know how hilarious it was. And I blazed through that first season. And I love that show. I think it is one of the most perfectly cast shows ever. Pop, I say pop. It, ever. It is so funny. And I love I love Troy and Abed. And it's um, yeah, it's a it's a very, very good show. So I'm happy with that. But yeah, that's all I've been watching, man. All right.
0: um, yeah, every time I made popcorn. I would say pop, pop. <laughs> Magnitude. <laughs> pop pop. Oh, it's so dumb. I, I <laughs> and, love- then, and at the very end at the end of the song, I would always go, Community. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: jeez. I love Chevy Chase's character in it because he just plays like what I would imagine old Chevy Chase is. Just this this pervert senile guy who is just saying the weirdest shit and uh yeah. He's um He's quite, quite good in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fun. That's nice. Yeah, what have you been watching? Um, Nothing really. Been still playing
0: the the Ghost of Tsushima there. Um, Plowing away. I'm probably going to platinum the shit out of this game. And I'm very, very excited about that. Um, But I have been taking breaks. (laughs) Because the game says, hey, take a break every once in a while. (laughs) And my watch says... Dude, it's like fucking time to stand up. (laughs) Does it tell you to take a break? No, I'm just like video games when you first pop it in. It's like, but we all enjoy playing video games, but maybe you should not play for like 18 hours at a time.
1: Diplomatic immunity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just been revoked. And so (laughs) when my watch yells at me saying I've been sitting too long, um, even though I've just journeyed through this entire island, it doesn't quite translate, I guess, to my watch. Um, I started watching I'll um, Be Gone in the Dark, mm-hmm. which uh, we were talking about before, having to do with the um, the original Night Stalker or the East Area Rapist, Ear Ons as he's referred to, and um, it is fantastic, but one of the things is that Patton Oswald is sort of helping drive the narrative in a lot of ways because his wife wrote the book and um, it gets very personal. It's showing like text messages. And this immediately made me think about our episode of Rear Window because there's this one text where she's like, I think, uh, talking about our kids. They have one kid together. Uh, her name is Alice. And she's saying, I think we need another one. And Patton was like, another Alice? And uh, there, he's like, there is no other Alice. And she's like, you don't want to have another kid? And he's like, we can barely handle this one. And when you read these texts... On your screen, it just felt like this huge invasion of privacy. And I felt really awkward getting that up close and personal to this couple having a very private conversation about continuing their family. And I, I didn't like that at all. It, I felt dirty, which is weird. <laughs> Obviously, he wanted it in the documentary. Like he approved it. He's like, yeah, let's do it. But, um, I just felt like it was just a little bit too personal of a conversation to be a part of.
1: Right. Yeah, I've heard it's good. I really need to to jump on it and watch because I don't, I didn't read the book like you did. I'm not a savant like you. But, yeah, uh, I've read
0: one book in the last decade and that was wonderful.
1: Yeah, I just know that when I watch it, it's going to make me feel dirty and just...
0: Ugh, yeah, you know? yeah, I know. And the only reason I even uh, picked it up is because there was like this deal where it was like free for like a half a second. And so I, I had... He had just been... Uh, caught, and so it was kind of like very topical. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just like, all right, well, whatever, I'll, I'll see what's going on. Uh, it was a great book, but like, you know, we've talked about this before where I, I am pretty anti on the, the whole true crime genre, and I'm not necessarily into it. I don't watch the documentaries typically, I don't watch like unsolved mysteries, I don't watch kidnapping shows or anything like that, survivor shows. Um, I don't do it. And there's actually like conventions that people go to where they're meeting all these true crime authors and listening to stories. And then there's like these weird things where it's like a uh what do you call it? Like a chalk outline where you can pretend like you're dead, like you were murdered, and have your photo taken. And I just think it's in poor taste and for whatever. I, I personally can't find the entertainment value in it. Um, and I think I think this is where like Alex and I just have a fundamental disagreement on on this. You know, she's very interested in it and deep diving and, you know, trying to put pieces together. And, you know, I don't see myself as like a a junior detective or a citizens on patrol type of person to where, you know, I am not qualified to do any sort of that research and I'm not interested in doing that. I hope they get caught for sure, but I just don't want to relive someone else's nightmare. Yeah. And uh, so the whole it was really hard for me to enjoy this documentary just because I'm thinking about that constantly. And um, I'm glad that it's over. I realize I could have stopped at any point, but I just after having read the book, it seemed like it was appropriate to just give um, give her my my time. And since she dedicated her life to basically helping solve this case, I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll 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 bite. I'll watch
1: for sure, for sure. And I I mean, there's something to be said, too, about HBO, because I think that they do such a great job at presenting that hard-hitting documentary as opposed to Netflix, which is like churning out as many as they can. And that's not to say Netflix is bad. I just mean that, you know, the typical white lady drinking wine on a Friday night watching murder mysteries and all that stuff. Yeah, and the whole my um, my favorite
0: murder podcast and all that stuff. I mean, there's
1: definitely a huge
0: culture and and boom in this genre. I remember when I was in high school, the true crime section – was like a sliver in a bookstore. You know, it was like a 4 right. foot section, and now it's probably got its whole a whole wing dedicated to it. And yeah. I just it's off putting to me. <laughs> uh, as someone that can enjoy violent movies, um, I don't want to be a part of any of it in in real life. Which, uh, for the sake of this particular podcast, uh, we've decided to explore Quentin Tarantino movies, and this format's going to be a little bit different. Uh, Normally we pick one movie and discuss it at great length and have fun questions, but with uh, Tarantino, he has directed ten films, ten feature films, all of which uh, you could argue are fantastic, and rather than just settle on one movie, we thought it would be fun to rank his ten films. Uh, We've also asked some of our our dear friends, both uh, personal and through social media, to rank their favorite Tarantino films as well. And so what we're going to do is basically uh, go in chronological order from Reservoir Dogs in 1992 all the way up to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was in 2019. And we're just going to give a brief synopsis about the movie and when we saw it, what we liked about it, and where it ranks on all of our lists. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Agreed. And I think at the end of the day, what's important to note is that there has to be a last place. And that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It just means that you just happen to like nine other of his films before it. You know, it's like uh, David likes to equate pizza and Star Wars as like kind of the same thing where um sure you're you might not have enjoyed it as much as other pizza. But at the end of the day, it's pizza. So you're going to eat it and. And like, you know what I mean. So, pizza's pizza, and uh I think that that's fair with Tarantino films. There's, there's nothing wrong with being ranked number ten on a list of top ten Tarantino films.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially if pizza's on a bagel, you can eat pizza anytime.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza <laughs> at time. Uh, What about second breakfast? <laughs>
1: Afternoon tea, right?
0: Now uh you made a very remarkable list here of actors that have worked with Tarantino multiple times in his feature films. Do you want to go over that really quick?
1: Yeah, sure. So I mean, I'm sure unless you're living under a rock, you have seen or, or know of a Tarantino film. But uh, he does have his uh his usual suspects uh, that he likes to work with, and these are just uh, actors who um, he, he's. Put in his films, whether it be a major role or a minor role throughout the years. And it's really interesting because there are some who maybe didn't have much of a career and uh, he skyrocketed them or they were actors who at one point had a great career and then something happened and then he um, gave them a resurgence or, or whatever. But then you have people like Sam Jackson, who's the first on our list, and he there's a story out that he was asked to audition for Reservoir Dogs, but he didn't know Lawrence Bender or Quentin Tarantino. And so he wasn't interested in uh, auditioning. Well, then he saw Reservoir Dogs, thought it was awesome. And then he's like, OK, I'll do Pulp. I mean, he's like, yeah, this this guy's got chops. And uh, so number one on our list is Sam Jackson. He's been in seven of Tarantino's films. I think seven out of ten is pretty awesome. Are you, you got- counting True Romance as one of those? um i don't oh i'm sorry i actually didn't write that write it down so i i just I, wrote the numbers down i was trying to think about it I, I would yeah. say uh just <clears throat> thinking off the top of my head
0: here it'd be true romance even though he's in the movie for like eight mm-hmm. seconds uh pulp fiction jackie brown right. kill bill volume two yes um django uh hateful eight and that's that's six what's uh... in-
1: inglorious he does a voiceover in inglorious gotcha okay yeah um that's seven and then is that seven yeah so there oh. you go okay so uh and then zoe bell zoe bell is sure. a terrific stunt woman uh from New Zealand, and uh she is incredible she's been in a lot of his films but she's also in seven uh michael madsen has been in five or joe gage as we like to call him harvey <laughs> uh, <heartbeat. laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna preface that this means you yeah, joe gage <laughs> i'm just gonna preface this podcast by saying we are going to be quoting a lot of uh, a lot of tarantino's Greatest hits, and uh, so it's just going to be a lot of them are going to be out of pocket. Um, I'm sure you'll you'll kind of get the gist of it. But sure. Justin and I have a thing where we just quote Hateful Eight a lot and and other things. My like, goddamn fucking hippies. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Harvey oh. Keitel has been in four. Mr. Wolf, he's incredible. Michael Parks and James Parks have both been in four. Uh, I like uh, James Parks. He plays Odie in Hateful Eight, and I think he's he's really good. Ob. Obi, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Uma Thurman has been in three. Tim Roth has been in four. I messed up on that placement. Uh, Kurt Russell, your, your your guy, he's been in three. Uh, Brad Pitt has been in three. Christoph Waltz has been in two, and Leo DiCaprio has been in two. Ooh. So yeah, he likes uh, he likes the same actors. Um, and then I didn't even list the ones who only had a, a one and done with him. But uh, you know, you have your Bruce Willis's, your John Travoltas, uh, your Pam Greers, all of them. Right.
0: And, you know, Bruce Willis is also in uh, four rooms in the room that yeah, wrote.
1: Okay, there you go. So, I mean, that's a twofer. Yeah, we and, and, and for the sake of this podcast, we we even expanded it a little bit to times that he was maybe a guest director or writer. So you could technically say Sin City, but. He directed like one scene in Sin City, so it's right. kind of a it's kind of a cop out, but right.
0: Yeah. So yeah, we're not going to include. I mean, for the sake of the the top ten, mm-hmm. we will not be including True Romance, True Romance, which he wrote, or Four Rooms, which he did the one room, right. or the guest director of of Sin City. And you could maybe argue that perhaps he may have did some directing in From Dust Till Dawn, but he definitely wrote that as well.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: So it don't count. I mean, can you imagine being George Clooney's brother? That'd be kind of cool. That would be cool. (laughs) They don't look anything alike, but it's kind of cool that they're brothers. The Gecko brothers. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah um is there any interesting trivia you had mentioned some sort of game that you yeah wanted to
1: do. i basically found an ultimate quentin tarantino quiz and uh knowing that you are this this amazing <laughs> me- <laughs> <It's> a- <laughs> you, you have a memory of like i don't know an elephant you never forget things and so uh, i just want to ask you these questions and what we'll do is it won't give me the answers until the end so we'll go through these real quick Uh, I want to get your answers. I'm going to lock them in. And then at the end of the show, I will tell you uh, how many you got right. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. So which of his screenplays does he consider his most autobiographical? You got Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, Jackie Brown, or Death Proof?
0: Most autobiographical? I have no idea. True Romance.
1: Okay. Picking it. Locking it in.
0: (laughs) I have no idea. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. What was the name of his character in Reservoir Dogs? Mr. Brown, Mr. Pink, Mr. White, or Mr. Black? Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. That's my name. That name again is Mr. Brown. Which it's actor in the face. Which actor played Brett in Pulp Fiction? You got Phil Lamar, Burr oh. Steers, Frank Whaley, or Eric Stoles? Uh Frank Whaley. Frank Whaley. Locking it in. Uh, as a director, how many film... Uh, they forgot the S. How many films has he collaborated on with Samuel L. Jackson? So this one is weird, though. It says three, four, five, or six. So this one is not counting Inglorious Bastards, clearly. It might not be counting uh, True Romance either. That's true. That's so, true.
0: So I got on a collaboration effort. Uh, was five an answer?
1: It was three, four, five, or six.
0: Okay. Well, I'll take the gamble and say... I'll say six because okay. I'm not going to count True Romance. I will count. Right. Um, Inglourious.
1: Oh, here we go. What is Kurt Russell's occupation in Death Proof? Stunt man. Stunt man Mike. Uh, which of his films won the Oscar for best original screenplay? Kill Bill 1 and 2, Inglorious Bastards and Hateful Eight, Pulp Fiction and Django Unchained, or True Romance and Jackie Brown?
0: That would be uh, Pulp
1: Fiction. And Django? And Django, yeah. Django, uh, as a struggling actor in the eighties, what sitcom did he appear? Golden uh, Girls. Yeah, oh, he's nice. Elvis. Yeah. Nice. Um True or false. Michael Madsen was first offered the role of Vince Vega in Pulp Fiction.
0: Uh, well, he does play Toothpick Vic in Reservoir Dogs, but I don't know if he was originally going to also just be, we'll say true. Why not?
1: All right. Uh, Where does *Inglorious Bastards take place? France, Germany, England, or Scotland? France. Who are the criminal siblings in From Dusk Till Dawn? You just said it.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, the Gecko Brothers. uh, Seth and Gordon Gecko, maybe?
1: Uh, The upcoming Once Upon a Time in Hollywood starring Brad Pitt centers around what infamous event? Uh, I'm sorry, one, one more time. The upcoming Once Upon a Time in Hollywood starring Brad Pitt. Oh, the murderer of Sharon Tate. Yep. Uh, Name the top Hollywood stuntwoman who doubled Uma Thurman in Kill Bill 1 and 2. Zoe Bell. Yeah. She's amazing. Uh, What song by Bobby Womack is featured during the opening of Jackie Brown?
0: Uh, 110th Street. Across 110th Street. Damn, you're so good. I know uh, shit. T- <laughs>
1: <It's true.
0: laughs> I know the whole song too. <laughs>
1: true, I know it doesn't surprise me. True or false? Tarantino wrote the original screenplay for Natural Born Killers.
0: He he wrote the s- story. We'll say true.
1: Okay. I hope this is only. It might
0: minutes. be a play on words with that, so I'll just say true.
1: What is the name of his production company? You got a Band it. Apart. Yeah. Okay. There we go. God, you're so good. Oh my God! I think I'm just going to tell you right now. Do you want to know what score you got? Sure, you got a hundred percent. Are you serious? <laughs> you got a hundred percent. No way. I guess on yes, a yes you did. Of those. Wow, <laughs> told you. Closet Tarantino fan, you. <laughs> I just know shit. I mean,
0: uh, I I'm like Rain Man. If I just hear it or say it, I usually remember. But the um, I wasn't sure if it was trying to be a trick question on some of those,
1: mm-hmm. like
0: with uh, Michael Madsen and the autobiographical one, and right. The Samuel Jackson one.
1: Well, congratulations. You did fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I, I would have got probably seven of those, right? Which is like fifty percent. So sweet. Nah, I would have got more than half. It, yeah. Yeah. I was a third
0: brother of five. <laughs> <laughs> Doing whatever I had to do to survive. <laughs> That's uh, across 110th Street. Which is funny in uh Die Hard with a vengeance when um when the good Samaritan Samuel Jackson decides he doesn't want to help, he's like, "Call me when you cross 110th Street." It's kind of funny, <laughs> since he lives in Harlem. Yeah, um, that's all I got. <laughs> no, there's no joke there. It was just, you know, interesting trivia.
1: Very interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, are you ready to get started? Or do you have anything else to add?
1: No, I'm good, man. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's rock and
0: roll. All right. So. Coming in hot, 1992 with Reservoir Dogs. This is a movie when a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police excuse me informant. Now, I love this movie. I saw it immediately after I saw Pulp Fiction. I hadn't seen it prior to the release of Pulp Fiction. It was my love for Pulp Fiction that made me say, who the hell is this Tarantino man? And, and what else has he done? Who is your daddy and what does he do? And I immediately went to the video store and watched Reservoir Dogs on a school night. And I was blown away. In fact, I remember my buddy Neil Engel was the one that said, um, have you seen Reservoir Dogs? And I'm like, I don't even know what you just said, dude, but I'm going to watch it. <laughs> and because uh, that title doesn't mean anything to me, right? And so uh, I went to, went to video adventure. 29 palms and rented <laughs> reservoir dogs uh in like 1994 and uh probably 95 because Pulp Fiction came out in 94 in the fall so therefore it would have come out on home video cassette in 95 so yes 95 is when I saw reservoir dogs what about you
1: uh so I was a late bloomer um I my my film career my uh cinephile career did not start until i was probably at least 18 or 19 but anyways i rented it uh via netflix the dvds um probably when i was about 19 years old maybe 20 uh and i you know i liked it i wasn't blown away by it but uh i have since had uh subsequent viewings and i i enjoy it a lot i enjoy it um again hard to pick a bad tarantino movie Oh man
0: and the music the whole thing with the radio tie-in with yeah. K. billy's super sounds of the 70s yes. uh mr blonde cutting up fucking marvin nash
1: the stuck um, in the middle with you yeah, dance with the gasoline smokes. and smokes it's pretty pretty iconic
0: and and how there's really only a few different locations there's the diner at the beginning there's that awesome slow motion walk with the music playing um then all of a sudden, you cut to this car chase thing that went bad, where where Mister White and Mister Orange are in the car, and Orange is, Tim Roth is just a bloody fucking mess. Like our bodies hold like eight pints of blood, and and he's got seven of them on the upholstery. <laughs> and so it's just pretty <laughs> hardcore. And you're like Jesus Christ. And so. um you know, then the warehouse. And then there's a couple of parts mm-hmm. with the shootout. We don't actually get to see the jewelry heist, which I find remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any other movie would have, would have thrown that in there. So it was, I think it was a pretty ballsy move not to, not to make it, whether it was because of budget reasons or that was really his goal was to, it wasn't about the jewelry heist. It was more about the who set us up. Um, I just think it was, I was just on edge. Like I, I loved it. And, and I think that you could even make an argument that, that Hateful Eight is a Reservoir Dogs movie in a lot of ways because they don't know who to trust. There's a, there's a group of people in one room trying to figure out that, that someone isn't who they say they are. And I do think that there are a lot of similarities between those two movies.
1: Totally. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think Hateful Eight might have been what he wanted to make had he had, he had a big budget but I mean, Reservoir Dogs was an independent film from this up and coming director that no one had heard of, really. And um, New Line took a chance on him, you know,
0: Yeah, Miramax, was- so Disney, Miramax, have, was it Miramax? Have, yeah, it was Miramax. But I mean, yeah. you know, Disney ended up like buying Miramax and they got all kinds of money. But yeah, it was um, ultimately it was the uh, that one rapist that I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, that gave him a lot of give <laughs> him a lot of uh, what do you call it? street cred and uh, the ability to just make the movies that he wanted to make. That's one thing about Tarantino is the movies that he makes are the movies that he wants to make, as opposed to some big wig studio guy coming in and saying, well, change this, change this, change this, change that. And then you're good to go.
1: Yeah. So where did you rank Reservoir Dogs on your top 10 list? Uh, Reservoir Dogs is pretty high for me. It is ranked four on my top 10 list. Wow. Much love there. Uh, you know, I have it ranked as number nine, actually, on my list. And That's I think fine. I credit a lot of that to the fact it just didn't it didn't um, resonate. It didn't Rosevore as much with me. <laughs> so uh, but I I still really liked it. I still appreciate it. But it is number nine on a top 10 list that is still great.
0: All right. That's not too shabby. Yeah. Um, our buddies Dave Edmondson from the Geek Legacy podcast. He actually ranks at number one. Wow. Which is remarkably high. And then uh jeff muller from uh jeff the mighty jerd he puts it at number five right in the middle smack dab ken stoltz uh at stoltz ken he
1: says that uh it's number six for him Mm -hmm. and then where does rob place it he puts it as number six as well and uh a little a little caveat to rob's list he he doesn't really rank them. He just has like his top tier Tarantino films and then his his middle. But I did go over this list with him and he, he approved it. So it is Rob Digifluid approved. Okay. That is interesting.
0: He was afraid to rank it. So pick a favorite.
1: And I'm sorry, did you say Randy had his on here or no? Uh,
0: no. Okay. Mr. Randy Van Dyke did not participate. Um, so, let me check my email because I had told him to email me. This okay. list and uh as of right now at the time of this
1: recording i have nothing <laughs> let <laughs> me down randy he's using let netscape to sell to send right off vista so um I'd, I'd say it's safe to say that it's a uh, it's about right in the middle for most people sure. except me <laughs> but uh clark
0: or i'm said clark uh, david edmondson he put it at number one
1: well he doesn't count he thinks michael bay is better than t- than uh Ridley Scott, so that's a that's a debate for another time, but it's not he's not wrong.
0: <laughs> All right. Anyways. Michael yeah. Bay invented Aerosmith and it's
1: great. And meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez, do you want to do the next one? Heck yeah, moving on. All right, the year was 1994. So Tarantino had some street cred, and so he moved on to another small film that maybe you have heard of uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Real quick. So, the lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster, and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption. Uh, Star studded cast. Uh, there's probably a good. And there's probably about twelve names you'd recognize from other films. Uh, this movie came out in 1994. Um, 1994. 1994. For all you naughty by nature, fans. naughty by nature. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, Pulp Fiction, really good film. It's kind of when you think of Tarantino, it's really hard to argue with Pulp Fiction as being like the top. I mean, a lot of people say it's, it's number one, and it's almost sacrilege to not put it at number one, but the thing about Tarantino is that his fans are so subjective and his mo- his movies are so subjective. Uh, where do you rank Pulp Fiction, Justin? Or what else do you want to add on on Pulp Fiction? Um, yeah, so this is the movie that that made me want to make movies.
0: <laughs> wow. I watched this and I was like, holy smokes. That is a great movie. I, I remember I was watching with my dad and uh, I was on the floor. For some reason, uh, I would always have my back up against the sofa but be sitting on the floor. That's just how I watched movies. And um, we sat there for two hours and change watching this movie. And when it was over, we were just looked at each other like, wow, that was, that was pretty freaking cool. <laughs> you know, we didn't pause it once. We didn't, we didn't do any have any kind of breaks of any kind. It was just from start to finish and we were blown away. And, and it's, it was, I remember watching it on a Sunday actually, because I had, I had school the next day and, uh, you know, we started at like I don't know eight o'clock at night, so it was like almost ten thirty. But I mean, I'm in high school, and I did not thought it was like up late or anything. But it was just weird for a Sunday night movie <laughs> to right. be full Fiction, right? And uh, you know, my sister had seen it at the drive-in a couple of months prior, and and she really liked it. So I remember her feedback was was very positive. She's like, Justin, you'll love this movie. And uh, sure enough, she was 100 percent correct. It it ranks forever. Um, In my in my top five movies of all time. Wow. Absolutely adore it. And as far as our list for Tarantino goes, it is number one on my list.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's hard to argue with that. Uh, You know, I will. I I can't. It's hard to think of the first time that I saw it. I, I honestly think it was around that same time I watched Reservoir Dogs and I was enamored by it. Um, I had only seen bits and pieces through pop culture references or word of mouth up until that point. But <laughs> when you I. Did see that
0: Mad Skit, he, Mad TV, where he's like, Forrest Gump? <laughs> he's like, I asked you a question. <laughs> Start shooting everybody. Oh, it's, like, it's like a 100% like uh, yeah time. Oh, it, it no. vaguely
1: sounds familiar because I used to watch mad TV all the time I used to stay up late to watch it yeah. but uh, yeah it sounds familiar so I mean I saw enough pop culture references like on the Simpsons and everything to to know that it was a, a uh, very important movie in film history and it took me a while to watch it but I watched it and I was blown away I thought it was so cool I loved how he used the narrative time jumps And you're kind of like, wait, hold on. When is this happening? Because didn't, you know, spoiler alert, alert, didn't uh, Vince die? Like, how did this work? And so and so. But yeah, I think it's a it's a fantastic film. Uh, It is not number one for me, though. Um, It is actually number three. I'm. I know. I'm pretty crazy, but it's it's number three. Don't it's, be crazy, Zach.
0: I it, told it, you that. Well,
1: it's it's hard to be a classic. It's like I you know. asked you nicely <laughs>
0: not to be crazy.
1: So this movie, the analogy I'll give it is it, this is like peanut butter and jelly, right? I love peanut butter and jelly. It's it's not my favorite food item. Uh, it's just so goddamn good that I can't really explain why it's so good. I mean, I could probably give you some reasons why Pulp Fiction is good, but I think it's just one of those movies you have to see. And if you haven't, if people are telling me that they didn't like it that's totally fine. That's their opinion, but they are wrong. Uh, It's just (laughs) high rewatchability. Every time you rewatch it, you're like, Ooh, I pick up on that. I pick up on that. And um, yeah, really, really cool. Love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Where'd everybody else put it? All right. So there's a guy named Justin. Um, So yeah, uh, Dave put it at number three as well. David, Uh, Jeff, you know, knowing
0: Dave, Mm -hmm. um, I would say that his top three are 100% interchangeable. And on any given Sunday, the this rotation could could very well be different.
1: And I think I'm going to speak for myself, too. I think that I can easily switch around mine as well. I don't know about switching my top three, but uh, I could definitely move some around. I mean, like when you talk about Kill Bill, I'm like, oh, man, I love that movie. And it's just especially when I rewatch it, I I think about that kind of stuff. So the same could be said for my list, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jeff has it at number one, actually um from number
0: one number one
1: (laughs) ken has it at number one uh rob rob also has it at number one so this may be um close to unanimous minus uh dave and myself but again with that those asterisks next to it uh this may be ranked as probably his his best film of all time according to us experts so
0: uh yeah it's just it's just a crackerjack movie man love it love it love it from start to finish yeah like even like the beginning when they're when um you know v- vince and jules are in the car talking about royale with cheese and then walking all <laughs> the way through the apartment building it's not quite ready to knock on the door yet so they hang back it's a very long shot right and then
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh they finally go in and then it's just business and it's scary sam Jackson shoots a dude on the couch he threatens another guy um that's a
1: tasty burger yeah
0: and it's funny though like that's the thing right like the entire movie you're on edge but it's it's really funny dialogue so you're it's really hard to to tune it out you know when he's like say what again i dare you i double tell you, does what does he look more like God a bitch yeah, he's like what uh oh man and he's like why would you try to fuck him <laughs> it's like I, yeah. Marcellus wallace don't like to be fucked by anybody except mrs wallace and i mean that is just amazing dialogue. Like, I love it so much. And then they shoot them up, and then all of a sudden, you're in this bar scene It doesn't quite make sense. And then when when Vincent's like shooting up heroin, it's all up close and personal. Um, you know, even when 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 Mia's uh, OD'd and they got to do the shot, and like all this crazy shit is happening, and you just don't know where this movie is going. Right. You just haven't you haven't figured it out yet. And then it just kind of comes to a complete stop once Bruce Willis uh, gets involved and gets in that taxi cab. And, mm. I, and that that's kind of boring in a lot of ways. But uh, we've talked about this on the show before where there's too much action and too many things happening. And you need a second to just kind of digest what's going on. And I do think that that scene with Bruce Willis both in the cab... And in the hotel room sort of gives you that opportunity to just kind of breathe and just try and maybe even piece together what the hell you just saw.
1: Do you have a favorite character from Pulp Fiction?
0: From Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I was, well, I mean, I think Vince and Jules are probably my, my favorites. Um, I think the two together have some very interesting conversations that are very fun to be a part of.
1: I would say for me, it's Mr. Wolf, just because I've always wanted to be one of those people that a fixer. Know, fixes things and knows things, and he doesn't skip a beat. And I love Harvey Keitel. And I mean, we talked about this on the Irishman podcast. Harvey Keitel is only in that film for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever, and he is just a, a screen grabber. He's excellent. And I really, really, I mean, even even the subtle when he drinks coffee, he's like, did you make this? This is good. Some yeah. coffee.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, coffee. to
1: Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, he He's so great. And I, I just love him. And I love the, the signature note at the end when he takes the gal to breakfast, who they take the car to the, the pound or whatever. Not the pound, but the, the junkyard or whatever. And he right. takes you out to breakfast. I mean, he's so smooth and so cool. Yeah. But just because yeah. you are
0: a character doesn't mean you have character.
1: There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a good wanna, one. You want to do the next one? Sure.
0: Coming in hot. From 1997, we have Jackie Brown, which is a remarkable film. It's just a chill-out, hang-out kind of movie. Um, Pam Greer basically gets uh, an a amazing resurgence in her career. Um, she is dynamite. She's been in a, a ton of films, and uh, it was just great to see her in, on the big screen. Um, this is the, basically a middle-aged woman finds herself in the middle of a huge conflict that will either make her a profit or cost her her life based on the book rum punch by elmore leonard so this is uh an adapted screenplay but again another remarkable cast you had pam Greer, samuel jackson robert forrester bridget fonda michael keaton which um he was kind of all over the place in the <laughs> 90s you know he was batman and it was great and then kind of went away for a little while. And then all of a sudden he's in this and he's just a badass. You know, he's just, he plays a really cool dude. And, um, uh, I just, I like that guy a lot. And I think you mentioned Michael Bowen before in, uh, cast people returning cast
1: members. Uh, I did Michael park.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, he's in a couple of his movies too. Mm -hmm. He's also Buck. He's in this and he likes, you know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's that. But anyway, this movie is a total hangout movie. De Niro and Samuel Jackson are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Pam Greer is just delightful. And even Robert Forrester, that dude, uh, he played Max Cherry, the bail bondsman. And, um, and he was great. And he actually just passed away um, uh, just under a year ago. It was October of last year. Mm-hmm. So that's really sad. But mm-hmm. um, really cool music. Uh, really uh, sort of exposed you to this 1970s era of music with... Um, you know, it kind of reminded me of Shaft in a lot of ways, you know. But yeah, I, I remember seeing it in the theater and uh, this couple in front of me just thought the movie was so funny and they were laughing at everything. <laughs> and And her giggle was so funny that it was like infectious. And so I was laughing at everything. And so even though this movie is a very uh, slow burn, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a, a lot to take in, there's a lot of setup, a lot of buildup. But because she was laughing at every goddamn line, it just made me feel good. It was so funny because I was like, I remember thinking like, man, I really like that movie. My buddy, um, Brian Gregory, he was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> about? That movie was awesome. And then I actually saw it twice in the theater. I liked it so much.
1: Um, I probably saw it when I was doing that Tarantino kick. So I was probably about 22, maybe. Uh, I really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I have only seen it once, though. Uh, That's not very fair for how I ranked it because I should probably I mean, it it matches up to how I ranked it. But I I, I think I need to give this one a rewatch. I believe it's on Netflix, too. So I definitely need to give it another try. I remember Sam Jackson being so good in it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he was a great he was a great villain. And uh, I love Pam Greer. I mean, the first thing I saw Pam Greer in was Mars Attacks, of, of all things. Oh yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then I knew about her black uh, black blaxploit- exploitation era of films, and yeah. so um, it was it was cool to see her back in action. And she's so good in this movie, so so good. She's great. Yeah, um, I like I, I ranked brand. I ranked it as number ten on my list, actually. And that's that's because I had only seen it that one time. Uh, So like I said, not super fair. I should give it another another go. But um, as of right now, it is number 10 for me. What about you?
0: Uh, I have it at nine, uh, but I think my my entire uh, bottom five can probably like Dave shift around just once I watch one of these movies then it immediately gets bumped up, you know? Right. Um, But I have it at nine, but again, that's not a bad thing. Uh, It's still top 10. Like, I mean, I love the movie. I know every song that's in it. Um, There's a lot of the, the, the camera work. And it's really interesting because a lot of times it's just standing still. And the actors are just kind of working around the camera and uh, it's definitely a hangout movie. And um, you know, you got to be in a certain mood for it. But I do think that the the dialogue drives that pretty well. And Pam Greer totally. is great. And Tarantino's
1: uh, so good at dialogue. Like he's so good at writing dialogue.
0: Right. I remember the trailer. Um, it was like Pamela Greer is. And then she's pressing the button to say who she is at the door. <laughs> she's like, Jackie Brown. It was great. <laughs> um, Dave Edmondson. He actually ranks it at number two on his list. Loves that Jackie Brown. Um, our buddy uh, Jeff Muller from The Mighty Jerd, he puts it at 10. Uh, hmm. I guess that would be 10.
1: Yeah, it's his not. Early. I mean, number nine, because I thought we were moving them all up because he put From dust Till Dawn. Oh, that's two. right.
0: That's right. Uh, nine. Yeah. Let's,
1: yeah.
0: Let's nix that. <laughs> he puts right. it at nine. I'll,
1: I'll change that right now. No, that's
0: fine. Um, and then our buddy Ken Stoltz, he puts Jackie Brown at um, number two. So he's like Dave. He likes this uh, a lot. It's very high on his list. Um, and then Rob, he gives Jackie Brown a seven.
1: So it's up there. It's up there for, for most people. Yeah.
0: So I, I think this is one of those ones where it's either uh, really high on your list uh, in, the, in the top three or top two, or it's in the bottom two. It's, uh, it's not quite a love or hate it because I definitely enjoy it. It's just when it's such a nice fun list of movies it's hard to it's hard to rank these ones absolutely yeah
1: all right uh all right so um i'm just gonna do both of these because yeah and we can split them both but uh in 2003 and 2004 we have kill bill volume one and then the uh highly anticipated follow-up sequel kill bill volume two i wouldn't even call it a sequel i would call it the second part of said (laughs) film of the amazing revenge film Uh, I was... uh, Let me read a quick synopsis for Kill Bill Volume 1. After awakening from a four-year coma, a former assassin wreaks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her. And then spoiler alert, in number two, the bride continues her quest of vengeance against her former boss and lover, Bill, the reclusive bouncer, Bud, and the treacherous one-eyed L. So... Kill Bill 2003 2004, I probably saw it in 2005. Uh, So I was a senior in high school and I loved it. Um, I was a big fan of violence. Uh, That (laughs) sounds really bad, but uh, I thought it was ridiculous, over the top. I mean, when she's killing the crazy 88s, and all the blood <laughs> is just splattering everywhere. Oh, I, yeah, guys. <laughs> I, I thought it was one of the coolest fight scenes I've ever seen in my life. It still holds up as one of the coolest fight scenes I've ever seen in my life. Sure. And I love everything about Kill Bill. I love the music. I love uh, the aesthetic of it. I love that w- during that crazy 88 scene. And this is a fun fact. Uh, he had to shoot that in black and white because the MPAA was like, you can't do this scene. It's too violent. He's like, okay, I'll just make it black and white, because that way you can't, it doesn't look like blood. It's just black. stuff stuff squirting out of him, you know? Yeah. It's, it's funfetti it, fun cake. It was but, pretty liquidy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, pretty ridiculous, but I love it. I think Uma Thurman is such a gem in this film. And this was this was kind of, a, I don't, I don't want to say a comeback for her, but she had kind of a dry spell there for a little bit. And this was one of those ones that really kind of elevated her. Mm -hmm. So I I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, both Kill Bills. What about you? When did you see these movies? I saw them both in theater on opening day,
0: and I saw both of them twice in the theater.
1: What theater were you at? Uh,
0: First time I saw it, I was at the Fullerton AMC 20. And the second time I saw it was at some rando theater in a huge mall in Phoenix, Arizona. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Phoenix, rise yeah. the Phoenix. Went for a NASCAR race of all things, and uh, <laughs> true story,
1: car and handle real good, real good. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, yeah. So the, I was waiting on my airplane, and I had time, so I went to the motion picture show, chucked it out again, um, and then Kill Bill Volume Two. I, I love that movie. I think it's so fun. When she's getting buried alive, that is like one of the most <laughs> intense things ever and uh just i I hated that part so much hearing the the rocks and the dirt hitting the the wood the pine um fuck me man that i just remember being uh just getting chills i thought that was so intense i i'm in this big room and i felt so claustrophobic and uh not too many things have ever done that to me i the only the only times i've ever really felt claustrophobic was was um uh, I would say that movie and then playing something like Bioshock. Um, I felt very claustrophobic in that video game. Would you kindly? Exactly. <laughs> um, but just the beginning of Kill Bill, I remember thinking, was just so badass where she's all bloody mess and she gets shot in the face. And um, and then when when 2 comes out and it goes back to that event, and we get to see that the wedding and it wasn't really a wedding. It was a, re- a dress rehearsal. Right. It was really great. And right. then there's Sam Jackson, you know, as Rufus, I was a drill. I was a drifter. I was a coaster. <laughs> I was part of the gang. Yeah. I was in the bar cane that came through Texas. I played with him. And, uh, I just, I love that. Um, as, as someone that enjoys the coasters and cool in the gang. uh, I really appreciated that dialogue. <laughs> um, but from, this is interesting because uh, some people really love the first one and can't stand the second one. Some people really love the second one and think that the volume one is is okay. Um, so I was definitely interested to see where people rank these on their list. Uh, me personally, um, I rank them at um, Kill Bill Volume 1 as, as seven and Kill Bill Volume 2 as six. What about you?
1: So I think there's something to be said about that, too, with uh, a lot of people not liking Kill Bill Volume 2. I know that immediately I wasn't a huge fan of it because it wasn't that action spectacular, you know, that that number one was. But I think over time, I really appreciated Kill Bill Volume 2 for what it was. And um, it's hard for me to, to rank those because I, I just love them every time I watch them. But uh, I put it at um, what did I put it at? Oh, okay. So I put number volume one at number five and I put uh, volume two at number seven. Uh, I could put them at five and six interchangeably, but I think I split it up because I liked a movie a little bit more at number six. But so when I saw it, I saw Kill Bill volume one. And when I was in high school and then volume two, I actually might've went to, the, I might've went to the theater, but I believe I saw that just on like the digital video disc there. Uh, I, I, I did not watch Kibble volume one before I saw it though, because I remembered enough about it. Cause I, w- I would always say Charlie Branja And And uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty great. <laughs> Charlie Charlie uh, uh Yeah. Uh, I remember I- when I got, uh, when you bought
0: volume two, Best Buy had a little cardboard insert thing to where it made it to like a twofer. So um, if you had already bought the first one, you could have this cool little box set.
1: It's it kind of neat. Pretty neat. Yeah. yeah I own them both on the blue rage there. So, uh, Mr. David Edmondson, he puts uh Kibo volume 1 at number 9 and Kibo volume 2 at number s- uh 7. Interesting. So he has them pretty high up there. He also split them like I did. Uh low, technically. Oh, sorry. Low. I'm looking at this list. I'm thinking like high numbers win. <laughs> right. Man. On a top 10. On a top 10 they don't win. you are. <laughs> we're doing we're doing golf scores there, see. Sure. <laughs> uh jeffrey s Mueller he does it at uh where does he have it at uh oh wow okay so uh he puts kill bill volume one at number two right but he puts number or volume two at number six so two and six respectively it's interesting that he placed it that far apart but it might be what you were talking about where a lot of people weren't as enamored by the second one as they were the first one. right
0: they're two very different movies right Uh, Volume one is just a in-your-face, high-adrenaline murder um, rampage, whereas two slows things down a bit, and it's more of uh, coming to terms with um, uh, what is it, uh, fear and desire. Yeah, <laughs> as it were. there you go. Yeah. Um. So it gets it gets interesting for sure. And so yeah, he had Jerd had put uh volume one at at technically three and then he had uh from Dust till dawn at two so that those two movies you know they have some hardcore violence and action scenes so i think that's where his head is at you know he's he's he is an award-winning brazilian jiu-jitsu badass and he 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 hurts people um for, for points and uh break the wrist walk <laughs> away break the wrist walk <laughs> yeah away. yeah he is a graduate from Rex Kwando and um, <laughs> he's got the Starlight <laughs> night <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, maybe he was just living vicariously through the bride. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then our buddy Ken over there he has a uh, volume one at number four and volume two at number three. So he liked volume two better. Uh, there is something to be said about David Caradine. He you know Carradine. I always say Caradine. Is it Caradine?
0: My whole life it has been. <laughs> Sweet <laughs>
1: Caradine. Uh, Caradine. I say things wrong all the time. <laughs> I said Joe Montaigne. But uh, so anyways, he um, ha- has those spaced out. And I think that's something to be said about that. I think volume two is really great because it fills in those holes. And uh, David Caradine is just fantastic in it. And it's nice to be able to see the bride's backstory um, and how she trained and everything uh the Barry live scene like you said was was pretty excellent her fight with l driver was pretty excellent um her fight with bill was amazing and the whole daughter reveal spoiler alert it just even
0: in his conversation about superman you know when Mm -hmm. he shoots her with a dart right yes he's like you know don't you touch it or i'll put one right in your eye kind of Mm -hmm. thing he's really scary you know he's very scary it calms down for a second and then um he goes on this rant about uh superman and it is it is incredible and I love it very much. And he he can do a very good job of convincing you that Superman is one of the best heroes ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's a very good. I mean, that's Tarantino's writing. Like he's sure. just you know, it's a it, it, it it's a good scene. It's an excellent scene. I'm right. a fan. So, and then uh, our buddy Rob, um, he puts Kill Bill Volume One at number two uh rob loves uma thurman so so much and then he put kill bill volume two at number three so he's got uh yeah two and three respectively uh he wrote for kill bill volume one i asked him Uh, i saw part one in theaters before opening night Uh, he worked at the theater when he was in high school and the shock cliffhanger had his jaw on the floor they had to call an ambulance because his jaw fell off of his face onto the floor that's what they call him That's a dirty floor floor they call him jaw floor so uh, Kill Bill, and then he wrote for volume two, Kill Bill, I adore because it's just this wonderful uh, pastiche of reverence for great and iconic movies from the 50s and 70s through our 50s through the 70s. I agree. And that it riffs on them where it's both obvious homage. Oh, and also completely makes it Tarantino's own. I love all the acting in it. Every last character nails precisely what their character should be, in my opinion. I agree. I think that it was his Tarantino is a huge Kung Fu film fan. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he he plays a lot of that with with volume one and even getting David Carradine from, you know, the series Kung Fu as Bill was was pretty, pretty iconic and pretty epic. So I think that it was uh, very, very interesting, very awesome and truly appreciated. Sure. But yeah. You know, my Kung Fu is so so, you know, come see Kung
0: Fu. But <laughs> yeah, but you play a lot of Ghost of Shishina, so <laughs> I you should be do. good at it. I do. I'm good with
1: a blade. You're good at petting foxes, right? Yeah, I do that shit. R2 all day, baby. <laughs> photo mode yeah um, that
0: yeah it's a good one
1: and that seems to be a great place to pause and take a weekly intermission with Tarantino's first five film ranks in disgust be sure to tune in next week to the Don't Be Crazy podcast for the epic conclusion to our Tarantino mega list same bat time same bat channel Remember to follow us on Twitter at dvcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zackdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin, as well as the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James. Just please remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening.